one day, two non-athletes woke up and said, hey, let's do a sports podcast. These courageous warriors faced great obstacles such as mediocre microphones, Skip Bayless, and Matt Hendrickson. This is The Unathletic. Welcome to this edition of The Unathletic, everyone. I am your host, Ben Friedel. And alongside me, as always, Nate Wiggins. What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. I had a good weekend. Uh, I watched a Classico yesterday. Did you, did you happen to catch a Classico? I did not catch it. Um, it, was, because, it was a great match. Yeah. It was a great match. Some, some pretty poor refereeing decisions. Uh, but it was it was overall just a great match. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was if I, if I watched it. And, uh, yeah, I heard that um, there was some questionable refereeing decisions as well. And it's always a shame to look back on a match and remember the refereeing decisions over the actual match Absolutely. itself. Because yeah. it is El Classico. And those are matches that we should, you know, we're honored to be able to experience those kinds of matches anyway. So I think before we get, you know, dive in too much into soccer, I think we should just reaffirm kind of what our show is about. So here on The Unathletic, we we want to we pride ourselves in talking about the sports that we want to talk about. So virtually every week we talk about soccer because both of us love soccer. We love watching European football, um, as they call it out there. And, um, yeah, and uh, we're going to be talking some NBA basketball, um, some playoff basketball, and not engaging in the vicious cycle of the NFL draft this, this episode. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of hearing about Baker Mayfield, like – they're not even playing any games right now. And there's like, you know, the NBA playoffs going on. Yeah, right, yeah. Loud, am I right? So let's dive in. Let's do it. So um, a lot of things happening um, in soccer. We haven't had a show in two weeks, actually. So uh, a lot of stuff to catch catch ourselves back up on. And we just mentioned El Clasico. It was a 2-2 game. Um, Barcelona have already clinched uh, the La Liga title. And uh, Real Madrid looked pretty solidly um, in Champions League. So it... It wasn't that that match didn't mean anything. It was just that kind of the the two teams, uh, their fates have already been sealed, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something that, you know, given that it's El Clasico and it's a huge rivalry, there's that genuine hatred between the players, and we saw that on the pitch, and Real Madrid was trying to end Barcelona's unbeaten run. There was still, it still felt like an El Clasico, but compared to last year or years past, uh, it definitely, there wasn't as much on the line. But, um, I mean... Speaking of uh, Real Madrid, uh, you talk about Barcelona going unbeaten, but Real Madrid, they're going to their third consecutive Champions League final. That's That in itself is, is pretty impressive. And it's really interesting to me how, uh, when you look at these two teams, Barcelona is going to go unbeaten in La Liga. Real Madrid is going to their third consecutive Champions League final. Uh, the thing of, it's interesting with these two teams, um, they're both kind of honestly mediocre compared to how well these two teams have been in the past. You know, I think that this Real Madrid team is certainly not as good as they, or they haven't been playing as well as they were playing uh, these last couple years. I know this Barcelona team, even though they're unbeaten, is not as good as some of those other Barcelona teams that um, were there under Pep. Yet, it's, it's just so funny how they've kind of made things look pretty easy, you know, in La Liga for Barcelona and in the Champions League uh, for Real Madrid. I know, and uh, I think Barcelona, they're done playing for stuff. Like, they won the Liga and uh, La Liga, and that's all they can win, if I'm not mistaken. And they already won the Copa del Rey, too. Yeah, so their their season is virtually over. They're just sort of riding the wave until um, the end of the season. Because... I, I got a question for you. 
What would you rather win, the Champions League or win La Liga and the Copa del Rey? I think, did, is this question stemming from, I heard someone, I cannot remember who, saying that, commenting that La Liga is harder to win than Champions League. That was Danny Zidane who said that. Yeah. But then Sergio Ramos said that he would rather win the Champions League than La Liga. I feel like I would want to win the Champions League. I mean, really? Like, honestly, because it's the Champions League. Like, do I I need much more reason than that? I think it's a, like, just a, reputation-wise, a bigger competition especially since it encompasses the best teams from all over the country. Because I think, to answer your question, there's distinct styles of play in each country, and Champions League combines all of those styles of play. And so, you know, if you're just good at winning La Liga, maybe you're good at just beating that one style of play. I mean, albeit there's, you know, variations of that. But, you know, the people say that the Premier League has a distinct pace to it. MLS even has a distinct pace to it. We, ha- we saw Zlatan commenting on that yep, um, yep, over yep. the weekend. So all these leagues are definitely, I think, distinct in their own way. And I think if you're able to conquer all the different stylistic sort of uh, variants within the different types of play, I think that winning Champions League, I think, is like the ultimate testament to like how good your team could be. Okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here mm-hmm. and say that, you know, with the Champions League, you and we kind of see this with Real Madrid. Like, we've talked about this before. They have not played extremely well, and yet they find themselves in the Champions League final. It's almost, to me, like they've kind of stumbled their way <laughs> into the Champions League final. But, you know, you're not going to stumble your way into a league title. You, you know, in, in, in the league, you have to uh, be the best team for 38 games or 34 games or however long the league is. But for the Champions League, you can just be the better team over those two legs and find your way uh, find your way through. You don't even have to be the better team over two legs like we saw between Juventus and Tottenham. So I, I think that uh, I, I totally get where Zinedine Zidane is coming at, where I think it is tougher to win your league than it is to win the Champions League because although you may be facing higher quality opposition in the Champions League, that it's not something that you're doing week in and week out. You don't have to maintain that same consistency. You can almost, I don't want to say turn it on and off, but it's something that you can get up for a Champions League uh, match differently than you could uh, say get up week to week for your matches in your league. Do you get kind of where I'm? Where I'm no, where I'm I, I get what you're saying. So yeah. what that makes me think of is Leicester City. Yeah, exactly. right. So in your estimation, what Leicester City did is more impressive than when if they were to go on a run and win the Champions I, League. I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because for the uh, for the Champions League, it's the only um, you only got to be the better team for for six or eight matches versus, you know, in uh, the Premier League, like, they were the best team for 38 matches. And, and I mean, we even saw that um, that following season where they were struggling in the league, but they were advancing in the Champions League. And I think it, it shows that just that week-to-week grind in the league is different than the, uh, you know, once or twice a month grind in the Champions League. Yeah, I definitely think that's a testament to, you know... I think those are some good points, Nate. And uh, regardless, the Champions League still exists... I, I'm it's, not saying get still, rid of the Champions it's, League. It's I'm still happening. The Champions League. And um, we had some matches going on. We had Real Madrid taking down Bayern Munich. And under your estimation, they kind of stumbled to that victory, if you will. <laughs> and uh, Real, Real Madrid advanced 4-3 on aggregate. They almost blew it. They almost blew it. Uh, Bayern Munich sort of were, were coming back, coming back strong. Um, and, you know, Real Madrid advancing to their third consecutive Champions League final. And, um, albeit, um, may not have been the cleanest road to get there, but they did beat teams like PSG, Juventus, and now Bayern Munich in order to get to the final. And we were talking about this. I feel like if they played Barcelona in the final and they beat Barcelona, that probably is the most, would have been the most impressive string of wins in order to win any kind of trophy 
in like ever, honestly, like Absolutely. going through all those kinds of teams. But um, I mean, they literally beat the French champions, the Italian champions, and the German champions to get to the Champions League final. And it's like, it's like I was saying, they're doing this without even like playing extremely well. I mean, and. I, uh, when I say stumbled in, I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be there because they absolutely deserve to be there. But you cannot deny that they have gotten some lucky breaks. I mean, you mm-hmm. had the, the last second penalty against Juventus. You had uh, Stefan Allright making the worst goal, the worst goalkeeping mistake I have ever seen at that level of play. But the difference between great teams and good teams is that great teams take advantage of those opportunities when they are given to them. Good teams do not. That is why Real Madrid is in the Champions League final and honestly why Bayern Munich isn't because Bayern Munich had plenty of opportunities, plenty of opportunities over the two legs to um, to score, to, to do what they needed to do to advance, and they didn't. Real Madrid did, and that's what separates Real Madrid, a great team, from Bayern Munich, who's only a good team. Yeah, so speaking of Bayern Munich, they... They did well to get this far. I think definitely at the start of the season, if you were to tell them that they would go out in the in the semis of the Champions League, they would not be satisfied. They're a team that wants to win this competition every single year. And, you know, as you mentioned, they won the Bundesliga. So, Nate, in your estimation, how did Bayern Munich's season go? I think that this season is a failure, honestly. Uh, I think that for Bayern Munich, your goal is to win the Champions League. The Bundesliga, it's, it's an expectation. It's not a goal. It's something that, hey, we're supposed to win the Bundesliga. That's that's something that it's just, okay, it's, it's kind of something that we're just supposed to do versus with um, with Bayern Munich. you know they, Their goal is to win the Champions League. And when they don't win the Champions League, I think that you can say that that season is a failure. And it's something that they haven't done since 2013. It's uh, They have lost, I think, four consecutive years to Spanish opposition. And I think it shows the gap between uh, the sides like Barcelona and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. And, you know, people can, can make the argument, well, is this because, like, is, is Bayern's failures on the European stage, is that something to do with the fact that they're just running through the competition in the Bundesliga? I'm not here to have that conversation. But what I will say is that Bayern Munich, I would consider their season a failure. So under your estimation, this season being a failure is contingent upon them not qu- winning the Champions League, right? I, I think so. I and think so, so we were just having the conversation on whether winning the league versus winning the Champions League is more important and they clearly won the but league. But I, I think I think I think that what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I think that it's it's more of a case by case basis. I don't <laughs> think that you can you can sum it up cuz I mean if if you've got a side that's built to win the Champions League and has won their league six consecutive years in a row, your goal should be the Champions League and that should be your that should be your main focus, right? I, I think that's the main focus at Bayern Munich is, is to win the Champions League. That's why they fired uh, Ancelotti because he was getting the most out of his players. They brought in Europe Heinkiss because their goal was to win the Champions League. They did not do that, and so I would consider that the, I would consider this Bayern Munich season to be a failure because they didn't win the Champions League. Yeah. So would you therefore say the same thing about Real Madrid then? Right. That's a team that's built to win uh, the Champions League, and then their their manager is coming out and saying. Oh, like Champions League not as important as winning La Liga. He didn't and say. He said he said it was harder to win. Harder. He said he said La Liga okay. was harder to win. Those are two. Those are two different things. Okay, so maybe yeah. So case by case basis. Maybe, I, that's, I think, maybe yeah. Bundesliga not as not as hard as Champions for, League. For 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 a side like Bayern Munich, I don't think it's as difficult as it is. Maybe for even like a Barcelona or Real Madrid in La Liga, I don't think. Yeah, that because is. Barcelona and. Real have each other. Exactly. To always exactly, play. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, with uh, with the Bundesliga, it's Bayern Munich and then, like, Dortmund, which is definitely not at the same level Absolutely as, not. as Barcelona. Sorry, Nate. They're, they're not. Um, and, uh, yeah. But I think, regardless of wh- whether or not Champions League, the league, what's more important, who cares? Real Madrid is taking on Liverpool, a team that isn't even sniffing the Premier League title this year, um, in the Champions League final. Liverpool 
took care of, well, didn't necessarily take care of, but like beat Roma sort of by the skin of their teeth. Seven to six on aggregate. And, you know, what a draw. This Roma team, I think, showed so much fight throughout all this tournament. They, I think, defied all the odds. And, um, yeah, Nate, Liverpool, they're going to the final for the first time since, I believe, 2005? I think so, yeah. Yeah, when it was uh, in Istanbul. I know Liverpool fans always like to talk about that. Um, what do you think of the draw? What do you think about Liverpool advancing to a Champions League final? Well, I think that this is going to be a super exciting final, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's interesting with Liverpool, you know. This this should not have been as close as it was. But, you know, we've talked about this before. Liverpool only has one mode, and it's attack, attack, attack. It's going forward. It's going forward. They don't know how to sit back and defend and protect a league. And I'm not uh, a lead. And I'm not saying to park the bus, but I'm saying that there's a balance between let's get everything forward and let's pull everything back. There's a balance there, and I don't think that Liverpool knows how to do that. And I think, you know, after this match, I was watching ESPN FC, and some of the punters were talking about how it's, almost a bit naive of Liverpool to think that oh all we can do is just attack 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 and that's how we're going to that's how we're going to win because eventually that's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, and um so as you said, um Liverpool definitely expected to win this draw, but Roma, they put up a good fight, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I, you know, I think when you look at a side like Roma, a team that no one even expected to get out of their group with Chelsea and Atletico Madrid, I would say that this Roma season has definitely been a has definitely been a success. You know, they're going to qualify for the Champions League next season, finishing in the top four of Serie A. Um, I mean, no one expected them to even get this far. No one even gave them a chance against Barcelona. They found their way through. So I think that this Roma season has been a success. Yeah, and so therefore Liverpool, Real Madrid in the final. Who do you got? I'm gonna go four three Liverpool. It's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be up and down. Neither team can defend, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun. Champions League final. I'm going to take Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool in the um, upset. Yep. And I believe that Liverpool winning this would be the first English side to win it since Chelsea. Chelsea in 2012, yeah. Yeah, so we haven't seen a, a British side win win the Champions League in a long time. And um, so it's definitely going to be exciting to watch, that's for sure. And I think we've mentioned it a, a few times already. This Champions League has been all about attack, attack, attack. I think this this semifinal draw between the two, the two matchups that there were, the most goals... Yeah, were scored yeah. in this semifinal round in any year of Champions League history, I believe, in terms of just, you know, raw firepower just being so prevalent. And, you know, this got us thinking, where has defending gone? You know, we, we've seen guys like Sergio Ramos, like guys who are uh, arguably top three defenders in the world, just making, you know, schoolyard mistakes sort of out there. And Nate, so just... Really, really bad defending all around. Um, what do you attribute this to? Is it better attack? Is it, um, you know, just defender? You know, these Sergio Ramos is getting older. Maybe some defenses are not acclimating to, you know, new, uh, better styles of attacking force. What do, what do you attribute this lack of defending to? I think a lot of it has to do with tactics. And I think that, you know, even uh, defenders are now worrying about getting up an attack. You know, I think uh, Marcelo, I would consider him to be one of the best left backs in the world. But he's all about attack. Marcelo uh, is honestly not a great defender, uh, in my in my opinion. And I think that, you know, with this focus on attack, it's, it's certainly fun to watch. But I understand, you know, it can be very frustrating, you know, for, uh, for fans of teams to see their team make just absolutely schoolboy mistakes, just absolute terrible defending, almost like MLS defending, oh uh, if, if you will. Um, yeah, and so I think in my opinion, 
when I watch soccer, I love seeing goals. I hate going to a game, and especially, like, if I went to London and went to that Arsenal game and it was nil-nil, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Like, I paid all this money to get on a plane and fly all the way to England just to see a 0-0 draw. Like, I can't stand that. Like, it feels like, honestly, like, I've seldom watched many games that are a great 0-0 draw. So yeah, I, I, I love can't. seeing goals. And the fact that this Champions League had has had a plethora of goals, I think, has just been um, really fun to watch. But at the same time, as you said, like, the quality at the same time isn't really there to where sort of when I see a goal now when I'm watching Champions League, I'm not having as strong of a visceral reaction as I would otherwise. Otherwise. Because I'm kind of just like, it's just another goal. Like, I know there's going to be, like, five more in this match. So, like, let's just wait and see what happens. Whereas, I think uh, what soccer, you know, what makes it the beautiful game, if you will, is that every single goal is usually so important. So, I think for me, it's really important to have a really great balanced attacking force and defensive force. So that you're able to, you know, because sometimes exciting defending, getting a last-stitch tackle on a, on a 1v1 can be a really exciting absolutely, play. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, we're not really seeing any of that. We're just seeing, instead we're seeing uh, Mustafi freaking slipping in the penalty area and then Griezmann going top corner on him. Like, that kind of stuff, I hope, would change in the near future. And next year, hopefully, we'll see um, some people shape up with some uh, better defensive performances. We'll get to Arsenal in a bit. But before we do, um, Nate, you have some specific comments about um, your arch nemesis, Robert Lewandowski, that you wanted to share on today's episode. Yeah, okay, all right. You know what? A a few uh, (laughs) months ago, actually a couple months ago, I got into a bait with uh, one of my friends, my friend Steve, and uh, it was during the Juventus-Tottenham game, and it was after Harry Kane scored, and I said, oh, look, there goes the best striker in the world. And then uh, my friend Steve uh, responded to me on Twitter saying, uh, said, Lewandowski says hi. And I'm like, nah, Harry Kane's the best striker in the world. And this is, this is something that I've, I've felt for a while. And I honestly think that Robert Lewandowski is overrated. He is overrated. Uh, he has not scored in, I think, five straight Champions League matches. And if you're going to be the best striker in the world, then you have got to score in the big money matches. And he hasn't done that. He had numerous chances against Real Madrid that he totally, totally missed. Uh, these are chances that I think a lot of uh, a lot of strikers would put away. And, and, you know, I don't understand how you can call him the best striker in the world when he's missing relatively easy chances on the biggest stage. And um, I think to, to add, add some more to this conversation, I think it's important to note that Harry Kane and Robert Lewandowski, in their respective leagues, are virtually the same in terms of the, the amount of goals scored that they've had over the past four season, four seasons, and that's um, when Lewandowski moved from Borussia Dortmund to Bayern Munich, and that's when Harry Kane uh, finally uh, planted himself in, into a firm starting role with Tottenham. And, and since that, since that point, since the uh, 2014-2015 season, I believe, um, these two strikers have been virtually, um, you know, very comparable in terms of all their performances and we were just talking about okay how do we measure importance how do we measure um what is better winning the champions league or winning the league and it looks like in the league they're kind of indistinguishable but in your eyes it's it's the champions league that what that's what separates them yeah 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 and i think that you know uh we saw against uh juventus harry kane um scored a couple of big goals for uh tottenham and i know they didn't end up going through uh, but I don't put that on Harry Kane. You know, it's not his fault that um, Dybala made a huge, uh, tremendous pass to Higuain, and Higuain put a chance where that Dybala had an amazing finish. I don't I don't think you can blame Harry Kane for that. But I think that you can not completely blame Lewandowski for the fact that they didn't go through against Real Madrid, but I think that he played a huge part in that because he, like I said, they only lost by one goal in aggregate. If he puts away one or two of those chances, they're going through, you know? So I think that 
uh, I think that you can put a significant of the blame for Bayern Munich not going through on the poor finishing of Lewandowski. And it wasn't just him. I mean, Frank Ribery had a couple of uh, uh, chances that he should have put away. Thomas Muller had a couple of chances he should have put away. Uh, but, I mean, Lewandowski, he was very, very poor over both legs versus Real Madrid. I, th- I guess it's my turn to play devil's advocate now. So, you know, it, it may seem that it might be a little bit hasty to, to rip Lewandowski after, uh, you know, a, a few draws in the Champions League. As, as you said, it's been, what, five consecutive matches where he hasn't scored in, in a Champions League draw, and that's ultimately contributed to them being eliminated from, from the Champions League. But, you know, who, who knows if that really does take away from his greatness as a striker, you know? Because last I checked... Let's look at Harry Kane's trophy cabinet. Is there anything in there, right? And how many Champions League trophies does Robert Lewandowski have in his trophy cabinet? Uh, I ask you that. Does he actually have any? Because, what, Bayern Munich won the Champions League in 2013. Okay. Uh, and then he moved to uh, Bayern Munich the next year. So I don't even think he's got any. But he does. He has he won does, the league. He does have he has won the league regardless. Um, Okay, I, I totally get that. But I think that when you look at what Harry Kane and what Tottenham have done in terms of uh, buying players and selling players, they have not done anything, honestly. And then <laughs> compared to all the big clubs in Europe, they probably spend as little as anybody versus Bayern Munich has spent so much um, to build this uh, Champions League super giant that has not won the Champions League. But I think that uh, when you look at what Harry Kane has around him, and he's got some very talented players. he got Christian Eriksen, Deli Alli. He's got some very talented players around him. You compare that to what uh, Lewandowski has with Thomas Muller and Frank Ribery, James Rodriguez. Uh, and then you look at their output, I think Harry Kane does more with less. And I think that Lewandowski is more of a poacher, kind of just sitting in front of goal, putting away chances from inside the box, versus, you know, Harry Kane, um, his hold-up play is very good. I think he just does more on the ball than Lewandowski does. Yeah, so um, future Real Madrid center forward Harry Kane, in yes. your estimation. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, would, I, I think that this conversation isn't over until... Harry Kane moves to a club like Real Madrid and we see Real Madrid's output because that would put him on a similar playing level, if not a higher playing level than uh, Lewandowski because you're talking about service, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think Real Madrid, I think, has the ultimate wealth of service, if you will, even in the entire soccer world. So I think this conversation is definitely one that's warranted, but definitely one that isn't over. Uh, A conversation that is over... However, is my beloved Arsenal. They they got knocked out against Atletico Madrid last Thursday on a score of 2-1 to one on aggregate. That second leg was a tough one. They lost 1-0 um, in Madrid. Um, and that was following a very disappointing first leg where Atletico were down to 10 men, um, I think within the first 12 minutes. And Arsenal could only escape that with a draw, especially with how much possession they had, how many shots on goal they had, etc., um, and it, it just, I think at the end of the day, in this, in this uh, second leg, Diego Costa was just too much to handle for Arsenal. And um, at, at the end of the day, Arsene Wenger, you know, he's, he's not riding off into the sunset, really. He's, he's leaving the season on a low, no European trophy, no trophies at all. They made the final of the Carabao Cup only to get smacked by Manchester City. And, you know, we just kind of got to hope that we're going to be able to beat Huddersfield away on the last game of the season. That's sort of all that's left for uh, myself as well as other Arsenal fans at this point. So we'll get to my thoughts as a neutral on Arsenal in a minute, and I've got quite a few. But I'm curious, Ben, how are you feeling, and what are your thoughts on this team um, at this point in the season? Um, I wouldn't call you a neutral. I'd call you a hater on Arsenal. I would Arsenal. consider myself to be a neutral. You would definitely be. Neutral. We'll, we'll, we'll let the listeners decide when you actually get to say in some stuff. But, I mean, I'm in terms of how I'm feeling right now, because essentially this... 
this game against Atletico Madrid, us losing, that's the end of our season. There's really nothing left to play for. We already, we've already requalified for the Europa League next season. Um, and we're just sort of riding out the rest of uh, Arsene Wenger's tenure as Arsenal manager. And um, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm disappointed in losing Atletico Madrid. I thought we could, um, especially that that uh, that first leg. I, mean, I thought we could do it, and then it was just one defensive slip up at the back, and Griezmann was able to capitalize on it. And then just like that, we're out. And but at, at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not surprised because Atletico Madrid is a higher quality side than Arsenal. Is as, as painful as that is for me to even admit. You know they're they're a good team, and I think that's pretty clear to clear to see. Um, they Diego Costa again was was too much to handle, um, and I think it was just an uphill battle uh, on the whole. It was just something really tough that I would have loved to see us overcome. I, people, a lot of people were saying that our draw against AC Milan was an uphill battle, and we kind of we smacked them around. So kind of thinking back to our success in that draw um, against CSK in Moscow, being able to get it done in this competition specifically, I had some more hope. Like hypothetically, if we were to play Atletico, like let's say they were in the Premier League, I would give us no shot. Like no shot at all because our Premier League performances are just dreadful. But in Europa League, I actually gave us a shot. And it, it was just, I'm not, I'm not feeling that great right now. Um, I thought for once that the Arsenal defense, even though we had that one slip up in uh, the uh, first leg, they were the strength in in this draw against Atletico. And I think um, even after Koscielny in like the 10th or 12th minute, he he left the game after rupturing his Achilles tendon. He's probably going to be out for the World Cup. He had to leave. That you know, if I was on if I was on the field after um, one of our most uh, captain-like players like he's a, he's you know as much as people want to talk about arsenal not having any team leadership he's probably the best we got in terms of leadership on, uh, besides jack wilshire and a guy like him just going off with a horrible injury i would think would rattle the cage a lot but callum chambers was able to come in and he made some really good tackles in order to um kind of stop a lot of the madrid attack moving forward and you know but as good as your defense can be, if you're if you're getting no attack to support and the ball is always in, um, you know, the offensive side of the field for Atletico Madrid, you know, a, a goal is eventually going to slip in, and I believe that's that's what happened. And again, the attack was really non-existent at all. Um, Jacka Wilshire, Ozil, that entire midfield, they were absent. There was Arsenal Fan TV, Sky Sports, everyone was ripping Ozil, like just for not showing up. He would not take a shot for his life. He had clear open shots on goal where he would just decide to cross, decide to just um, overcomplicate the situation. And I think Ozil can do that um, a little too often because he re- he relies on his passing creative prowess, I think, a little too often when, you know, sometimes you, you just got to let the ball rip. You know, it's the game's only so long, you only get so many chances, and especially when you leave that second leg with one shot on goal, one shot on goal, and that one shot was granite shotgun from distance. There was a lot more chances where Arsenal could have actually taken a shot on goal instead of just kind of these uh, baseless crosses into the middle where a defensive unit, like a solid, arguably the best defensive team in Europe, we're talking about horrible defenses. Atletico Madrid still gets it right with how good they are at defending. They're gonna block all those crosses every single time. And at the end of the day, I mean, it just comes down to the same problems that Arsenal have always had. It's been the same uh, lack of service, just a uh, lack of leadership from a managerial standpoint, which, w- which is what we're addressing. But even when Arsene Wenger leaves, the problems are still going to be there if we don't go out this summer and just break the bank, if you will. Like, so- we need a goalie, we need some defenders, and we need a center defensive mid. And that is a lot of changes. And I, frankly, I don't know if we're going to have the... I don't know if we're gonna have the guts to do all that, honestly. Here's my my thing on our on Arsenal. I think that Arsenal they're weak minded. 
Honestly, I think yep. they're weak-minded, and uh, I think that reflects, you know, your manager reflects onto your players, and I think that's a reflection of Arsene Wenger as a manager. And so I said before, they need somebody who can come in and kind of just straighten things out, get in people's faces and say, you know, hey, this is how things are going to be now. But uh, with Arsenal, and, and you talk about Mesut Ozil, you know, not taking a shot, uh, and I think that, that was, he was not the only one. Um, you talk about Xhaka and Wilshere and the, how absent the midfield was. Uh, I think that kind of shows that, hey, Nobody was really willing to take the initiative and say, you know what, I'm just going to take a shot. And, you know, Xhaka had that one shot. But besides that, like you said, it was a lot of, uh, oh, I don't want to take the shot here. I'm going to pass it. You take the shot. It was nobody taking the initiative, nobody grabbing the game by the throat and say, hey, I'm going to be the one that, that gets us through. And I think that that reflects very poorly on someone like Mesut Ozil, who is this big money player, world class player in, in a lot of people's eyes. And I think that, you know, this was he was absolutely dreadful. He was he was very poor, and I think that that reflects on the entire Arsenal team, just how poor they were over these, uh, over the two legs. And I, this was a, a classic Atletico Madrid performance. It was uh, Griezmann to Costa on the goal, and then um, just sitting back and defending. And I think someone like Diego Simeone, I think, would actually be a good fit at Arsenal uh, because you know the football isn't always the prettiest, but you, you, he can defend, and you will be able to get forward, score goals. Yeah, um, I. Your points there really remind me, I think, of what uh, they were talking about on Arsenal Fan TV recently. And Arsenal don't have a guy, I mean, didn't have a guy at least playing in Europa League. I think Aubameyang can be that guy that says, hey, give me the ball, I'm going to go score. It's kind of, I think, comparable to basketball. You have a go-to guy in those clutch moments. I mean, and that's what separates great teams from good teams, is having a guy that you can go to, like LeBron James, who it's a buzzer beater. Uh, you know, bank shot at the end of the game. And we're going to get into that a little bit, but I think it's comparable to these Europa League sides that uh, Arsenal have been putting out there. Mesut Ozil is supposedly supposed to be that guy. Positionally, where he plays in the field, he is pulling the strings, and if he adapted a little bit more of a Kevin De Bruyne mentality and took some more shots, I think that um, Arsenal could have scraped a goal in this match if Mesut Ozil played better, but he didn't. And now here we are, Arsene Wenger not going to have any kind of trophy, and you know it's just sort of wait, waiting and seeing seeing what happens, waiting through the World Cup because we're probably not going to appoint a manager until afterwards. At least I would think so. And um, yeah, we'll just see what goes from here. But in the meantime, one, one last thing I got to say. Okay. I hope Aubameyang enjoys playing in the Europa League next year while Dortmund's playing in the Champions League. That's all I'm going to say. All right. So, anyways, we have Atletico Madrid versus Marseille in the final in Lyon. So Marseille fans are pretty stoked uh, to be playing in Lyon Stadium in the final of the Europa League while Lyon are just, you know, somewhere. I don't even know where they are. Um, And Marseille, therefore, in the other draw, they were able to hold off a resilient RB, uh, not RB Leipzig, it was RB Salzburg, um, who came back from two goals down to push it to extra time, but then Marseille got that extra time goal uh, to send them to the Europa League final. And these were probably two of the best teams in this whole competition that ended up in in the uh, final of this of this competition, if I'm being totally honest. And um, Nate, I just want to know, will, will you be watching this match, A? And B, who do you have if you will be watching? Well, I'm, I'm going to go with Atletico. I won't be watching because, you know, I've got finals to study for and I'm a responsible student, <laughs> uh, unlike, you know, other people who are graduating. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Atletico. I think they're a more talented side. All right. Well, I probably will also... Hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go Marseille. Let's do it. Right, Let's just spice okay. it up a little bit. I think that uh, Dimitri Payet is just offers a lot more attacking options than 
Atletico have faced in this competition so far, and it might throw them off guard a little bit. And I'd like so guys like Piat, guys like uh, Florian Tovan, guys like uh, Maxime Lopez, who's a really young midfielder from Marseille. They have some firepower that I think will be pretty surprising. And it's in France. I'd say that there's probably gonna be a lot more Marseille fans there than Atletico fans, and it's the place is gonna be rocking. So let you know, let let's just see if Marseille can get it done. I hope they do. I think they. Uh, it would mean more to that to that club if Marseille were able to win the Europa League versus Atletico Madrid. I think we could at least agree on, on that much. So, yeah, a lot a lot happened in the past couple weeks of, of soccer, and and from this point moving forward, it's sort of finishing up the the different leagues. Um, each domestic league champion um, in the the biggest leagues, however, is, has already been crowned. Um, you know, we have the Champions League final to look forward to. We have Real Madrid, Liverpool, and we also uh, have a World Cup coming up this summer. Yep, and, that uh, the United States checked, will still not be checked, in. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's um, true. Yeah, so you just had to rip off that band aid, didn't you? I, you know, we we got to do it. You know, four more years. Twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Um, gosh. you know, we got the Gold Cup to look forward that's to. That's true. We do have the Gold Cup. Gold Cup because we were not invited to the Copa America. We were not invited to the Copa America. No. Um. Yep. So that's how lowly they think of us. They invited Japan instead to the Copa the America. Yeah, like what? Anyways, um, so when we come back, we actually have um, our first guest in a very long time joining us on the show. Um, he, he is a he's a man by the name of Olin Carter III. Um, he is a basketball player for, at the University of San Diego, and uh, many would say that he is uh, our best player. So we're really excited uh, to have him on the show. So he will be joining us when we, uh, when we come back. So stay tuned, everyone. Like what you're hearing? Well, I've got news for you. You no longer have to wait a whole week to hear from your favorite sports personalities. Hi, I'm Nate Wiggins, and Ben Friedel and I have got you covered. Give our show, The Unathletic, a sports podcast, a listen. We release new episodes every Monday and are committed to bringing you the best content. That's right, the very best content. Welcome back to The Unathletic. Uh, So... Like Ben said at the end of the last segment, uh, we had our uh, we're having a, a guest on this week's show, and it's our first guest in a while. Uh, we actually sat down and interviewed him on Friday, and like we said, this is person is Olin Carter the third from the USC basketball team, and I thought it was a very good interview. I don't know, Ben, what did you think? That was fantastic. Yeah, he was he was very gracious um, in terms of coming on and trying to find a time that worked for both our individual schedules. So we really hope you guys enjoy the interview. So, what's up, everybody? This is Nate from The Unathletic, and I'm here with none other than Olin Carter III from uh, the USD basketball team. Olin, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Doing okay, good. thank you so much for, for doing this. Like, we really, really appreciate it. No problem. Um, so, let's just jump in right into the interview. So, um, can you tell us about yourself? Because I think people are familiar with you as a basketball player, but may not be familiar with you as a person. Like, um, what's your major, kind of stuff like that, with some other interests that you have besides basketball? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, for people who didn't know, I'm from Dallas, Texas, born and raised. Uh, two younger brothers, uh, both my parents back home, a uh, big family person, so uh, you know, that, that kind of really defines me. You know, I, I love my family. Uh, I'm a business major, business administration, so you know, I kind of went with the general aspect of business. Uh, and yeah, you know, hobbies, I mean, really, all I do is just, you know, when I have free time away from homework and class and all that, I just... You know, focus on basketball, you know, try to get away, watch a movie or anything like that. Uh, pretty big Marvel guy. Uh, I guess you say I watch a little bit of anime. love watching movies, so and that's kind of just what I do, you know, away from basketball and stuff. Just try to get away on my own and, you know, just relax. Very nice. What's your, just, what's your favorite movie? Just favorite pick movie. A movie. Favorite movie. Uh, growing up, I was a big Fast and Furious guy. 
Uh, I always loved Marvel movies, and I always kept up with Marvel movies. I just saw the Avengers movie the other day, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I don't know. That's tough, though. I don't know if I could really narrow down one particular movie, you know. But I, if I had to go for with a series, it'd probably be Fast and Furious. All right, all right. So, what was your journey like coming from Texas to USD, and sort of um, that transition coming from like, yeah, the Texas to USD? What's that been like? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it was uh. I guess you could say it was a little difficult at first, uh, you know, Texas is far away from home. So, you know, being so far from home, uh, you can start to miss it a little bit. Uh, but it was kind of easy because I had some guys here with me from Texas. So, you know, that transition was good. Uh, you know, freshman year for, with basketball, I was a little rough. You know, we were uh, only won nine games. So, uh, you know, just to see where we've come so far has been pretty, uh, you know, gratifying how much, how, many, how much the program has changed. So I know uh, Tyler Williams is also from Texas. Yeah. Like, did you know Tyler before you came to USD or? Uh, we had played a little bit uh, against each other growing up uh, in high school and stuff. We were in the same uh, district for a few years, so I got to get to know him a little bit uh, just from playing with, against him. Uh, but I never really was like friends with him until we came here. We actually came on our visit together. Oh, okay. And uh, he committed on his visit, and he you know kind of talked me into committing. Uh, you know, like two days after we left the visit. So that's cool. That's cool. So, what would you say has been your favorite uh, moment here at USC, either from this mm -hmm. season or just from your um, three years here as a basketball player? Favorite moment. Uh, first thing that comes to mind was my freshman year. Uh, we played San Diego State at Petco Park. I remember that. that yeah. Was, yeah, that, that was, was that was a big that was a big game right there. Uh, favorite moment from that game is when you know uh, at the very end, you know, they had missed a shot or whatever, and we threw it down to Brett. Uh, yeah, he, he I got remember that. That, that right was then. that was just incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was going yeah, yeah. crazy. That's probably my most memorable experience so far. Uh, you know, we had a lot this year, a lot of big wins. Grand Canyon, well, that was that was a fun one. Uh, Colorado, that was nice. But, you know, one that just, probably that San Diego State game was the first one that comes to my head. Yeah, I still have, like, still remember that game vividly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that whole experience of being at Petco as a fan was just absolutely incredible. And I can imagine for you as a player, it was just even, like, exponentially better than it was for us as oh, fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there was, like, 24,000 people at that game. You know, our student section was packed. It was crazy. Their student section was packed. So, you know, that was a real fun game. So, um, what is it like sort of being the, uh, being the cornerstone of this turnaround that we've seen here at USD? Because I, I feel like you have, you have probably been at the center of that, you know, from a team that won nine games to a team that won, I believe, was 21 games this past season. What's it kind of been like to be, I guess, kind of the main guy in terms of um, mm -hmm. facilitating that turnaround? Uh, well, I would say, you know, along with, along with Tyler, too, because, you know, me and him both been through a lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot of ups and downs since we've been here. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, just uh, one of the things that really kind of, with us, you know, just being able to, you know, kind of push through the tough times. Because, I mean, a lot of times, you know, you could look at your season and be like, wow, we only won nine games. Or, wow, we only won 13 games. And a lot of people could, like, start to lose hope. But, you know, just with the coaching staff and the way they kind of, like, push the matches through our head of just like you know keep trying to pursue keep trying to fight through adversity you know and we we kept doing that and you know we saw the results so uh you know I've, I've learned a lot these past three years just of you know when stuff gets hard you can't can't look down you just got to keep running through it and fighting through it so absolutely absolutely and we started to see some of the, the mm -hmm. results of that process yeah uh, but looking at it from your uh sophomore year to junior year um, your scoring numbers actually went down a little bit, mm -hmm. um, and it seemed to me like your role kind of changed from being like 
kind of the main guy on the offense to being sometimes the, the second or third option on the offense. Was that a tough transition, or was it something that you're like, hey, as long as we're winning games, it doesn't matter? Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely trade in those two points for, you know, all those wins. I would definitely rather average 12, 13 points a game and win 20 games than average 15, 16 points and win 13 games. So, you know, I mean, that role, I mean, of course, you know, it's, it's, it could be a little difficult at first because, you know, I was so used to, uh, well, I mean, then again, now I think about it, you know, just like, I would say, during the season, I, I was like, wow, my numbers were down a little bit. But a lot of times, I just felt like I was just struggling offensively. Like, I felt like, uh, you know, I wasn't making shots that I was used to, accustomed to making. So, uh, that was a big part of it. But, honestly, the transition to doing that, you know, it wasn't that hard. You know, with Isaiah and Isaiah coming in, I knew that, you know, our offense was going to be a lot more balanced. Uh, Tyler has definitely game up, too. So, uh, you know, really just, as far as offensively, my numbers went down. But I felt like it was allowed me to do a lot more on defense. And I felt like this season my defense really picked up a lot. And, and that was something that the coach really pushed me to do. So, uh, you know, my offense numbers did go down, but I felt like this season was good because uh, it allowed me to grow a lot on the other side of the floor and really focus on trying to be a better defensive player. Yeah, certainly. I'd say that you were one of the best defensive players in the conference um, this year. And that's something that people, they may look at the stat sheet, and that's something mm -hmm. that doesn't get shown. But I mm -hmm. think that your contributions on, on defense this year went a long way in terms mm -hmm. of um, the overall success of this team. And that was something that, um, I would often try and tell people is that hey, his offensive numbers may be down, but you got to look at what he's doing defensively, and it, it's it's just so important to, I guess, what the overall plan was um, for the team this year. Yeah. Um, so, what's a typical off season like for you? You know, um, kind of. I mean, right now we're in the off season. What's kind of the stuff that's been going on with the team or with you personally? Mm -hmm. Yeah, off season. Uh, you know, we get a few weeks off after the season. Uh, this week, this year, we probably got about uh, two weeks off before we really started getting back into things. Uh, so, you know, we first start off by getting the weights, uh, get back in the weight room, get our bodies back right, uh, you know, try to build up our muscle and get back into the swing of things. Uh, and then we start individual workouts with the coaches, uh, a little bit of teamwork, and just trying to work on, you know, uh, preparing for next season, you know, working on our individual skills, trying to, uh, you know, expand our game and work on things that we don't do so good. Uh, you know, this, this off season in particular is kind of a big one for me because, you know, I'm going to my senior year. So, you know, I'm trying to do a lot as far as just uh, – improve my diet, you know, trying to get better sleep, uh, staying hydrated, stuff like that, just little things that I feel like I can do to help improve my game. Uh, so this offseason is a pretty big one for me. And I know a lot of other guys on the same team feel the same way. Uh, you know, we're trying to get better. It's, it's hard to win 20 games, but it's hard to win 20 games back-to-back. -back. Yeah. And so uh, I feel like, you know, uh, we gotta we got to be even better than we were last season to have the same success and even more success this next season. So... Uh, it's going to be a big offseason for us, but, you know, we're ready for it and we're ready to get to work. Yeah, you know, you look at last season, I mean, you guys, you won 20 games, but honestly, in, in my opinion, like, there were a couple games that, that I, felt, I feel like you guys, you guys yeah, yeah, uh, could have yeah. won. I think you guys could have definitely won 24, 25 Easily, yeah. games we, this year, yeah, this past year. We feel the exact same way. You know, we dropped a lot of games that we feel like we should have won. Uh, so, you know, next season our, our focus is to, you know, play good against the teams that are great and play even better against the teams that we know because those are the games that are the hard ones to play. Yeah, you know, definitely. When, when you're playing someone and the gym's not packed and, you know, the game might be a little sluggish, those are the games you got to really come with uh, extra focus and detail and you really got to grind the ones out. So those are the ones we've got to try to, you know, pull off next year to make sure that we're even more successful. So, like, looking into next year, um, what, are your, what do you say the goals are for the team? Like, do you guys mm -hmm. think that you guys can – win the uh, West Coast Conference and be an NCAA tournament team? Is that, mm -hmm. Do you think that's a realistic goal for this Oh, team? yeah, that's definitely the goal. Uh, you know, I mean, even last year we felt like we had the talent to 
you know, win the WCC and get to the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, this year, I mean, uh, just seeing what we did last year and what we have coming back, I mean, getting to the NCAA tournament is the is the standard. That's, like, where we want to, you know, that's 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 where we want to go. But we feel like, you know, we can get the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, maybe even get some good matchups and make a run in there and be, like, a loyal Chicago. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we definitely have some high hopes, but, you know, we're ready for it, and uh, we feel like we can do it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, you, you look at what happened this past year, and I mean, you guys uh, definitely gave Gonzaga a scare. You guys mm -hmm. gave St. Mary's a scare. So I feel like this team is in a position to jump into the, the top two or three in the conference and definitely maybe even go on to win the conference. Mm -hmm. So um, going back to you as a, a player, do you try and model your game after anyone, uh, anyone mm -hmm. either college or in the NBA or anyone who, who used to play? Yeah, I watch, I watch a lot of NBA basketball. You know, sometimes my uh, coaches say I watch a little too much. Cause, you know, <laughs> no, no such thing as too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, some guys in particular that I really try to model my game after, uh, number one and first and foremost is CJ McCollum uh, for the uh, Portland Trailblazers. I feel like me and him have a lot of similarities. And I feel like uh, he's a good guy to watch because he's not a, a big two guard you know he's probably six three uh not just crazy athletic he's kind of like me he can shoot the ball uh but you know he's really good at getting to the rim and creating a shot and you know uh just finding ways to score different ways to score and i feel like that's something that i need to keep improving on uh i feel like i can shoot the ball but i could definitely do a lot better if you know getting to the rim and shooting mid-range shots and just kind of expanding my horizon so uh he's definitely a guy that i try to watch a lot uh victor oladipo is a guy because i mean if you Anyone who watched what he was doing to the Cavs, I mean, he, oh, he was, he, he was yeah. tremendous. Yeah, and then uh, probably the last guy is Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's great. He's been he's been killing it. I think he should be rookie of the year, honestly. So uh, I agree. Yeah. So uh, those three guys, just off the top of my head, are definitely guys I try to watch. Uh, I grew up a Carmelo Anthony fan. You know, I used to want to model my game after him, but then I realized I'm not going to be six seven. So <laughs> that kind of uh, took me away from him. So. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of different guys I try to take some stuff from. Uh, Dwayne Wade, I was a big Dwayne Wade guy growing up. Uh, Kobe guy, my dad was in love with Kobe growing up, so watched a lot of him growing up. But, you know, I try to take stuff from everybody. I feel like everyone has certain things that they do good. So, you know, I always try, just try to learn from different players. You know, even looking at, you know, the way Isaiah Wright does things. I mean, he plays a different style of basketball than I do, and I feel like he does a lot of great things that I could try to translate to my game. So, you know, I just try to pick up from everybody and try to, you know, get the best of everything. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so, hypothetical scenario here. Let's say um, athletics comes to you and says that, hey, you know, if, if you get to pick one of our opponents for next year, mm -hmm. if you could play against any team um, in college basketball, home or away, who would you who would you want to play against? Any team in college basketball. Me being a basketball guy, I'd probably want to play at Kansas, yeah. just because. I've heard, so I have a guy who goes to OU and he told me just those games are, I mean, no matter who they're playing, they sell out. I mean, so, the gym's so loud that you can't even talk to people next to you. And I, I love playing games like that where, you know, it kind of feels like it's us against the world and everyone's rooting against you. So, I, I mean, I feel like playing against KU, you know, arguably one of the best teams or one of the best programs in college basketball history uh, on their home court would probably be one of the most exciting games that I could play in. Yeah, that's that's everything that I've heard about about KU. It's just it's mm -hmm. just one of the best environments in in college basketball. But um, I mean, being in the West Coast Conference, you guys do have the opportunity to go up and play at Gonzaga, which mm -hmm. is a, a, just a tremendous environment in and of itself. What's it like going to a place like Gonzaga, um, playing against a, a top twenty five, top fifteen team? Like, mm -hmm. what's that experience like? 
Uh, that's great. You know, you, you walk into the building, uh, Gonzaga, you know, you get there about an hour, an hour and a half early, and they already have fans sitting in the, in the stands, like, waiting for you to come out. So, you know, that was, that was something that my freshman year was kind of like, like, whoa, like, it's an hour before the game. It's already, <laughs> the student section is already packed. So, you know, you're shooting, shooting in pregame and shooting layups, and you got students behind you talking, talking mess, and, and, you know, every time you miss a shot or miss a layup or something, you hear about it. So, uh, you know, freshman year, that kind of got to me, but then, you know, sophomore and junior year, I kind of just, Shrugged it, uh, shrugged it off, and you know it's kind of like entertaining just to like yeah. hear them talking and stuff. I think it's fun, uh, you know, playing in those type of venues where it's like, you know, packed. I just I live for those type of games where, you know, you're playing against a top team in their house and no one really expects you to win. You know, I just I love being the underdog, and I feel like those type of games are one of the most top, fun type of games you can play in. So you know, I love I love I love them. And well, hopefully we can start to build up that type of environment. Oh, here, here, yeah. Here. Oh, we and, uh, we know, love that type of environment here. Yeah. I know I know that for the Gonzaga game and for the St. Mary's game, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that had to be a lot of fun playing oh, in front yeah, of yeah. A, a huge crowd. But hopefully yeah. we can we can get that up for yeah. for all the games. Um, so um, what are your plans after USD? Do you plan on continuing to try and play basketball, or do you have other sort of ideas of what you want to do post-college? No, I, I definitely want to play basketball as long as I can, uh, make a career and make as much money off of it and get as far as I can go. Uh, you know, until I can't play anymore. So, you know, it's definitely the first option. Uh, it's just, you know, play at the highest level for the longest amount of time that I can. All right, um, final question here. Uh, which, what's been your take on the NBA playoffs so far? Just, uh, like you said, you watch too much NBA. What's been, what's kind of stood out to you uh, during the playoffs so far? I think the one thing that stood out to me, uh, there's two things actually. One is that LeBron has definitely showing a lot of people that him and Michael Jordan are in the same conversation. I mean, LeBron, you watched the game last night. He, I mean, geez, he just. Incredible. Incre- like, he incredible. Just, yeah, I mean, it's, what, he, what he's doing to the Raptors right now is, is just amazing. Uh, and then another thing is that, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, I'm, I was an OKC fan. I was rooting for OKC, but the Jazz are just, I mean, shocking everybody. I mean, they took the Thunder down in six, and, and now they got the Rockets tied one-to-one going into Utah. So I feel like Donovan Mitchell is probably one of the most exciting rookies we've seen in a while and one of the most uh, unexpected rookies we've definitely, ever seen. I mean, definitely. going into the season, like, no one even knew, I mean, who he was really. I mean, he was probably, like, the, I think, 14th or 15th pick or something like that. So he didn't really have high expectations. Uh, and he's just been surprising everybody. I mean, like I said earlier, I think – if you didn't, if anyone didn't think he was rookie of the year before the playoffs, I mean that's now. I mean it, it should be clear cut that he absolutely, definitely absolutely. should be rookie of the year. So, uh, just from the playoffs, I think those are the two things, uh, and also just seeing that the Warriors are unstoppable. I mean, you think you think you think you think the Warriors won it all again? I mean, it's hard to root against them when you have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson on the same team. I mean, Steph comes back in his first game and drops twenty eight points in twenty seven yeah. minutes. So, you know, it's hard to root against them, but. I, mean, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Houston, I feel like Houston gives them a good run for the money in the Western Conference, but, I mean, looks like Houston's got to get through Utah first, so yeah, my, let's see how that works out. My pick at the beginning of the playoffs was, was Houston, and yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I think it's going to be Houston. Yeah, yeah, You know, I think Houston, I think, you know, I like Houston. I like their team. I think James Harden and Chris Paul really, like, are good at running that team, but, you know, just watching the Warriors, and they just, man, it's hard to root against what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're, they're one of the best teams, I think. Ever. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, 
It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much um, for taking the time to do this, man. Mm -hmm. We really, really appreciate this. And we really appreciate what you've done for this basketball program. And I kind of take pride in the fact that, like, I didn't miss a game this entire season. Um, and, yeah, just uh, seeing you uh, grow and develop as a player has mm -hmm. been just an absolute um, pleasure to watch. Mm -hmm. And I wish you the best of luck going into your senior year. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but we recognize each other every game. So, you know, we just want to. Thank you for being there and supporting us, and hopefully, you know, more students start following your footsteps. But, I mean, keep doing what y'all are doing, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be around to support y'all. Thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. All right, so, um, yeah, that, like I said, that was uh, Olin Carter III from the USD basketball team, and uh, yeah, at the very end, he gave you his thoughts on the NBA playoffs. Uh, when we come back, Ben and I will give you our thoughts and our takes as to what's been going on in what's been a very interesting NBA playoffs. Count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up. Count it up, count it, can't take it when you die. Oh no, don't stress. Big bills, big bills. I fell in love with big wheels and quick thrills. My niggas running tip drills. Can't sit still. Don't give a fuck if it kills. It mixed well. Welcome back to the Unathletic, everyone. When we were last with you, uh, Olin Carter was with us. Well, he was with us on Friday, but we were, you know, we're fortunate enough to give you provide you guys with that interview and uh we both thought it was great. It was amazing having him. So uh, thank you, Owen Carter, if you're listening right now. And um, so now we're actually going to get to our take on what has been a very eventful NBA playoffs. And Nate, we're sort of coming to the end of the second round of the playoffs right now. And um, we, have, we haven't talked about the playoffs in a while. So there was a first round that happened. Um, so Nate, just sort of what has stood out to you so far this NBA playoffs? Well, something that stood out in the, in the first round and it's continued into the second round <laughs> is uh, there's this dude who plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Who last time I checked, he's pretty damn good. LeBron freaking LeBron James. LeBron James. I mean, his dude has just been a different animal in the in the playoffs and is showing to me. And I've said this for a while now. He is the greatest of all time. Y'all old heads can come at me with your hot takes and your the three and five crap. I'm not here for it. LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, and he's proving it during the playoffs. Uh, but he's not the only one who's been putting up awesome performances. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, we saw in that uh, first-round series against the Thunder, has just been on an absolute um, a, a whole nother level during these playoffs. Um, I think he's the rookie of the year. I know Olin Carter said that he thinks he's the rookie of the year. You know, great minds think alike. Uh, no. <laughs> but you know he—he's the biggest reason why the uh, the Jazz were able to upset the Thunder and are putting up uh, a bit of a fight against the Rockets. I know they're down three-one now, but um, to be honest, I didn't expect them to even take a game from this series. And you know he's—he's he's had a, he's had his struggles, I think, in games uh, three and four. But he's—I uh, think overall he's been absolutely tremendous. I don't think any other player out of the draft would have like helped Utah become as good as they are. I agree, I agree. Because after losing Gordon Hayward, I think the expectations at Utah were just so low. People didn't even have them making the playoffs. And I believe they were a five seed. So they like made the playoffs like semi-comfortably, uh, all be by being led by, I believe Donovan Mitchell was the 11th pick in yeah, the draft. Yeah. He was, so, he, so coming out of college, he was not one of the, I mean, coming out of college, this whole draft was about Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, uh, and then, you know, Ben Simmons, even though he was part of the draft class before. Mm -hmm. uh, Albeit Jason Tatum and Ben Simmons have, have been as been, advertised, but yeah. Donovan Mitchell has been arguably even better, has falling even to better. number 11. You had guys like Josh Jackson, Malk Monk getting picked before this guy, and, you know, teams like Phoenix, teams like Charlotte are just probably scratching their head, heads at this point, just saying, man, how did we... Um, how do we miss out on this guy? Even watching that loss last night, he this guy's got some handles. Absolutely, just going absolutely. to the rim and just like, 
Uh, you want to talk about a guy that you can give the ball to and he will make things happen. Donovan Mitchell is that kind of guy and he is a prolific scorer. Definitely. And so, Nate, was there maybe a more negative that stood out to you um, maybe in that first round of the playoffs that you'd like to address? Yeah, the Thunder sucked, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, but seriously, like, for the expectations for this Thunder team with the moves they made during the offseason, for them to just absolutely crash in the first round of the playoffs was an against ad- the Jazz. Against the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, yeah. yeah. It was absolutely uh, unprecedented. I mean, they were they were just terrible. Yeah. They were very terrible. And we'll see what happens with Paul George in free agency. You know, uh, I think he's coming out west to kind of be the face of L.A. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, something about the Thunder, and I'm a huge Russell Westbrook fan, and uh, I, I will very seldom um, criticize him, but I think if Paul George makes a move in free agency and goes to Los Angeles or goes to Philly or wherever he goes, I think that really reflects, reflects negatively on Russell Westbrook as a teammate that he drove off James Harden Kevin Durant, and Paul George. We'll see what happens in free agency, but I, I think that definitely reflects negatively on Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and I think another... This wasn't a guy that uh, left on his own will, but Victor Oladipo exactly, leaving exactly. Indiana. Indiana giving up Paul George is a better team now that they yes, got they uh, Oladipo yeah. and Sabonis back from the Thunder. So even though the Thunder, I think, two or three years ago, we were herald- heralding the Thunder with all their savvy trades and moves that they... Um, had made in order to make their sort of small market team sort of a behemoth in the basketball world. But recently, some of these deals get get guys like Melo, get guys like uh, Paul George. Oh, Carmelo only, Anthony. Only oh one gosh. year. Yeah. What do you what do you think of Melo right now? Oh man, like he's honestly just like a waste of space for the. He's just, oh he's my just taking, gosh. Just taking up a roster spot, honestly. And and I've been don't, very don't critical. tell Stephen A that I've been very critical of Carmelo <laughs> Anthony for for. A, about five or six years now uh, because, yeah, he's a great scorer and, and whatnot, but I think that, you know, if you're scoring 25 points a game on 25 shots, that's, you know, that's not you're not a very efficient scorer, so I think that Carmelo Anthony, yeah, he's a great scorer, um, he, he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer, but I just, I don't think, I don't see what he brings to this Thunder team right now, and I don't see what he would bring to any team in the league. Yeah, and um, so the Thunder definitely disappointment. It's going to be very interesting to see if they make the playoffs next year, quite honestly, if, if if your claim holds true and that the Lakers are able to sign Paul George or LeBron or someone, that's a Laker team that would probably make the make the playoffs. And then, you know, who's the team that bites the dust to replace the Lakers? It might be the Thunder. Absolutely. Absolutely. It might be kind of what we saw last year with the Thunder, where they were only able to scrape into the playoffs at the very end of the season. Uh-huh. Definitely. And so uh, we sort of touched on some points of the first round of the playoffs and now that you know we're we're quite a ways away into the end of the second round of the playoffs and uh you know let's see boston they've they've really taken definitely, it to definitely. philadelphia absolutely, absolutely. Hey, did you did you see uh hear about the confetti guy in philadelphia no what? oh so what happened was <laughs> oh um, yeah they, yeah, dr- they, they, they dropped, they the, confetti. dropped the confetti when the game was tied <laughs> Yeah, that that about sums up philadelphia's series yeah right there. and yeah. uh i think definitely with the, the names that Boston have been missing. They've been missing their best two players this entire playoffs and that they've still been able to manhandle Philadelphia, a full-strength Philadelphia 76ers, um, is, I think, just a true testament to not like not only how good the Celtics are, but like what could have been. Oh, definitely. It shows, it shows how good of a coach Brad Stevens is. Yeah. Definitely. He's, he's, a, tremendous, he's a tremendous head coach. Uh, and yeah, I hate the Celtics, but I also hate the 76ers. So, 
it, I am kind of happy to see the 76ers losing. So why don't you process so, that, Joel Embiid? That is a lot of hate. Why do you hate the Sixers? Because I hate the, just the stupid process and all <laughs> that. I'm like, Because you've been trusting your own process out in L.A.? Or... Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I think... Regardless of that series and how that's going, it looks like Boston is pretty pretty clearly going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. It looks like LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be joining. LeBron Toe. Yes. He owns, he owns the Raptors. He owns the Six. Talking about Drake owning the Six? Nah, LeBron owns the Six. I love the memes of just Drake's reactions. Like, because he's yeah. been out all these games in Toronto. And just Drake's face, I think, just really sums up the Raptors series of just, like, complete and utter disbelief and shock of just how one man has just single-handedly dismantled them yeah yeah he's he's turning the o2 to the o3 <laughs> uh that's yeah. a drake reference y'all for yes y'all yes it is who, and so uh it, it's probably band. gonna be you know again there's uh each of these series 3-1 leads respectively we've seen 3-1 leads go horribly wrong before and the the rockets are up 3-1 against the jazz and uh, let's see, what's the other series? I, for some reason, I'm blanking. The other series out west? Oh, um, Pelicans Warriors. Pelicans Warriors, and yeah. that's also war, 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 I think Warriors got that. I think so. We the have three one, three series. one leads all around. Um, I, I just I just don't see any situation where the uh, Sixers come back. And yeah, I think maybe they can take Game Four, but I don't see them going to Boston, winning Game Five. Um, there's no chance that the Raptors come back and beat the Cavs. <laughs> like the Raptors, their morale has to be just absolutely just demoralized. After seeing this dude, LeBron James, just totally rip their hearts out um, on, on Saturday night. I was watching that game. I was going absolutely crazy. And then I even posted on my Snap story, in all caps, LeBron James is the greatest NBA player of all time. Uh, got some got some pushback from that from a few people. But, you know, honestly, I, and I don't know how you're, I don't know your thoughts on this. I know you're a Cavs fan, but I don't, I just, I think LeBron is the greatest of all time. I, I, I know people, people can come at me with their, with their hate or whatnot. I think that you look at what he does. He may not have all the accomplishments that Michael Jordan has, but... And one of the things that people get on LeBron with is that he's not clutch. He's got more playoff <laughs> buzzer beaters than LeBron, than Kobe and Michael Jordan combined. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I just, when you look at what he does, when you look at what he does on the court, he's a more efficient scorer, better rebounder, better passer, more versatile defender. I think he's the greatest of all time. I was having an interesting conversation with uh, our boy, Ryan Gentry. And I think something that came up, because we were talking about this exact same thing, like because the, the Cavs uh, Pacers game seven was on and we were watching it. And um, I think a, a point that I brought up that I, I think is is worth bringing up is put Michael. Okay, so Cavs are down three one against the Warriors in the finals. Take LeBron off of that team at that three one point. Put Michael Jordan on that team for the rest of the series. Do the Cavs come back? No. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Exactly, and only one man could have willed the Cavs to come back from that deficit, and that is LeBron James. And I think that's a testament to him being a greater player than Michael Jordan was. And I think that when you look at, I mean, look at what LeBron did a few weeks ago in that, I think it was game five against the Pacers. He blocks a game-winning shot and then comes back, hits a buzzer beater three. Yeah, Michael I think Jordan, some people Michael said Jordan's that was goaltending, but I mean... That's neither here nor there. Michael <laughs> Jordan's not doing that. Remember that block he had in game seven against uh, the Warriors? Yep. Michael Jordan's not doing that. LeBron James is. Yeah, so what he can do... On and off the ball, I think is just a on true offense and defense. Yeah, just, yeah, De- just uh, a true testament to to his, you know, just what a physical presence he is. We all, you know, we always interchangeably talk about him and Cristiano Ronaldo as just being ageless wonders who are just, I think, physical specimens who are just in such gr- amazing shape that they're able to just like manhandle freaking everyone in, in the league, and it's you know truly amazing. So 
in your estimation, it's going to be Cavs, Celtics, Rockets, Warriors, and this is the last we'll say on this. Who do you have going through in each series? I got the Cavs and the Rockets. I said that at the beginning of the playoffs, and I'm going to stick with it now. Really? So Absolutely. you got yep. the Rockets taking care of the Warriors. I got the Rockets is in that, seven. Yeah. Is that going seven? Rockets in seven. I got Cavs in five. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll talk more about it most definitely because the NBA playoffs are long with all those days off. And so. we'll have we'll also have an interview for that too, probably coming up within these next few weeks. Yeah. So uh, maybe not even interview, maybe a live guest. Live guest. Yes, there we go. Yes, yes. So uh, Nate keeps trying to make it happen for you guys. So uh, uh, shout out to Nate for just caring about this show and uh, trying to make make us the best we can be. So when we come back, speaking of uh, someone who's trying to be the best that they can be, but they can't, we're having someone ride the bus this week that I'm especially excited about. And then we will also let you guys know uh, what we will be watching this week in the world of sports. So stay tuned, everyone. We will be right back. That's a real one in your reflection Without a follow, without a mention You really piping up on these niggas You gotta be nice for what to these niggas I understand, you got a hundred bands You got a baby bands You got some bad friends High school pics, you was even bad then You ain't stressing off no lover in the past tense You already had them Work at 8 a.m. And welcome back to this edition of the Unathletic. So uh, for Ride the Bus this week, uh, it was it was just something that that Ben really wanted to do. He's very excited about doing it. So I'm gonna uh, lob it up to Ben and see if he can uh, dunk it home. Yeah. So uh, riding the bus this week is none other than uh, former Mets pitcher Matt Harvey, who refused to get sent down to AAA after being designated for assignment by the New York Mets, and that's sort of the last straw that the Mets were able to even have on this guy. Uh, he started the All-Star game three years ago in New York City. Um, and so, you know, what a fall from grace this guy has had. I mean, he's just, you know, he got moved to the bullpen first, and he just hasn't even been effective there. His ERA is over seven. He just has not been able to come back from the constant injuries that he's had. And the Mets, at this point, they brought in a new manager, Mickey Calloway, who came over from the Indians this year. And Mickey Calloway, I don't think, has had much patience for Matt Harvey. Um, a lot uh, a lot shorter of a leash, uh, a... <laughs> yeah, leash than uh, former Mets manager Terry Collins had on Matt Harvey. And Mickey Calloway was essentially like, if you, you know, if you're not putting in the performances, if you're not putting the work in off the field, if you're not having the right attitude, you know, we don't even want you here. And I think attitude was clearly part of this because upon being let, let known that Matt Harvey was going to be sent down to AAA, Matt Harvey refused. How often do you hear players refusing to go down to AAA? Hardly ever, and so I think that is definitely warranted for Matt Harvey to ride the bus. And what I will say is, since he's designated for assignment, if you're unfamiliar with what that really means, essentially any team now can claim him off waivers and have him on their team for the minimum salary. So it and it really comes at like no cost to a lot of other teams to take a chance on Matt Harvey. A lot of this could have to do with a change of scenery for him being in New York, as you you know, as any sports fan knows, is just a really hard place to play because the media is always on top of you. And so I challenge you, the San Diego Padres, take a chance. Just go get him. We have nothing else left to play for, to lose. You know, we got um, you know, we have revivalist stories like Tyson Ross in our rotation. So San Diego, go get Matt Harvey. That I want to go see him as a Padre. And, you know, if he sucks again, try to send him down and then just designate him for assignment. Like, it really isn't a high-risk situation. And I think I would I would love to go see Matt Harvey pitch in a Padre uniform, I think, just for entertainment value, but also just the, the potential that this guy has as a pitcher. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but... I think you are crazy. This <laughs> dude sucks. Yeah. 
He well, sucks, man. And, you know, that being said, he's probably no worse than Clayton Richard. So yes, may- I know. Just maybe, maybe. Please come so we can get Clayton Richard out of our rotation. For God's sake. Please. Like, oh, my God. That... That's a, that's another conversation for another day. I think Clayton Richard could ride the bus any week. So Ben, what are you going to be looking forward to <laughs> in the world of sports this week? I think I'll be watching um, tonight. Uh, there is uh, it's game five, game five. Yes, game five game of four. game four. Game four. Yeah, the Cavs are up three zero. Three zero. Yes. Yeah, so game four. Um, game four. Okay. I, I had correction. I got the series score of that wrong. I said they're up three one, but it's three zero. So my apologies. So this is game four. And, uh, yeah, so Cavs looking for the sweep tonight against the Raptors. I think I'll have my eye on this game. And I'm, I'm looking forward to LeBron closing this series out, getting some rest. This guy needs to rest after that crazy series against Indiana in the first round. So if they're able to sweep tonight, I think they're going to be able to go in uh, stronger than ever to play, presumably, the Celtics in the next round of the playoffs. So, Nate, what will you be watching um, this week? Well, I'm going to be watching a very intriguing uh, match in the world of Major League Soccer. (laughs) Go home. Gosh. <laughs> Major League Soccer. Okay, can, can you even finish this? What do you, what do you have against MLS? It's just shoddy defending, man. They just need to sign some some better players. And, like uh, I've said before, as, you, a, as a diehard Chicago Fire fan, this is yeah. But. Like I've said before, you cannot make fun of MLS when you watch Arsenal week in and week out. Oh, but man. anyway, um, this week on a Wednesday night, got a rematch of uh, the last two MLS Cups, uh, Toronto FC taking on the Seattle Sounders. Both teams have been actually pretty bad. Toronto just picked up, I believe it was their first win of the season last week. Uh, Seattle has five points the entire season. Um, so, yeah. both. So just, teams, let's just watch some two bad teams team, in a bad league play some soccer. The, Let's these go. Are, these, are, these are struggling teams <laughs> with a lot of talent, both of which need a win if they right, want to kickstart right, their right. seasons, Ben. <laughs> all right, I think that wraps wraps up this episode. Wouldn't you say so? Uh, we enjoyed having Olin Carter here. Yes, um, thank, thank, thank you so much to Olin Carter. Um, really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to sit down with us, man. Yeah. Uh, so, And we really appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, uh, we appreciate the team. whole basketball team. Yeah, so we love all of you. If anyone else wants to come on the show, like... We're, we were just looking to fill time. So just uh, that, that door is always open. And uh, as you enjoyed bagging on Arsenal, I enjoyed bagging on MLS. Yes, so, yes, yes. Um, another great week here on The Unathletic. So uh, take it easy, everyone. And uh, will we be back next week? Yeah, we will. Okay. Will, will we? I, th- I think we'll talk about it. We, yeah. we may or may not be maybe, back next maybe week. Maybe we'll be back next week. Finals maybe are not. coming up, so let's just uh, let's just see how that goes. But uh, have a great one, guys. And uh, we, we will uh, won't see you, but yeah. Peace. Peace out. <laughs> Check us out on Twitter and on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, and SoundCloud. Also, check out our sports blog. Articles are released every week, and our writers need your support. In the meantime, we'll be back next week. Yeah, like you're the biggest Arsenal hater, dude. Okay, but I see, like, yeah, I hate Arsenal because, like, they're bad. I hate MLS because it's bad. (laughs) Your point?
Dude, hey, if we want to see you grow as a league, then we need to support it. If we want to see Arsenal grow as a team, <laughs> we got to support it. Like, it's the same thing. Oh, man. Well, I was going to offer you some cranberry juice, but not anymore. <laughs> All right. All right, cool.